reading this morning is taken from 1 Samuel and chapter 3. No verses to announce because it's the whole chapter. (laughs) The Lord calls Samuel. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realised that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family, from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons uttered blasphemies against God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house, will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. 
Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Father, thank you for your servant, Patrick, uh, and we pray that as he speaks to us now, you will inspire him, that the words he speaks will be yours, and we pray that you will bless him in all that he does. Amen. Thank you, Colin. Am I switched on? Well, good morning. Now, has anyone here seen a Star Wars movie? Yeah, yeah we got a few. So they've made a whole bunch of them. It's a franchise, a multi-billion dollar franchise, in fact. So the new Star Wars movie has come out. And you've gone to the cinema. And the lights dim, the curtains open... And the first thing that happens is epic music pours out the screen. And the first thing you see are the opening credits. Now, the opening credits are going to give you a flavour of the story to come, which might start like, mm. A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, existed the galactic empire, a dark and violent empire, and at its head, the supreme commander, Darth Vader, a cyborg, who rules with an iron fist and terrorizes anyone who gets in his way. Now, Samuel opens up this part of his story with drama, and the clue comes in the second half of the first verse when he uses these explosive words. In those days, the word of the Lord in the land was rare. How can this be in a country that's had the likes of Enoch, Abraham, Aaron, Abel, Noah, Joel, and Moses? Oh, thank goodness I got that bit right. <laughs> Spiritual giants. This is the land of the Hebrews who brought plagues down on their ancient Egyptian slave masters, who split the seas wide open so the Jews could walk on through towards the promised land, who built an ark to save as many as they could from the impending floods. How can the word of the Lord in the land be rare with such a great heritage of patriarchs? Well, we'll find out shortly. First of all, a bit of background. 
What is this young boy Samuel doing, living with the aged priest Eli and his two diabolical sons, Hophni and Phinehas, in the temple? Well, Samuel tells us in earlier chapters that his mother, Hannah, was married to Elkanah. Now, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah being one, Samuel's mum, and Penia. It was quite common for a man to have more than one wife in those days, and still is in some cultures today. Now, why any man would want... Oh, quite a lot of women in here today, isn't there? Now, Hannah was not able to conceive whereas Penia had numerous children. And Penia was nasty to Hannah, belittling her, making her feel less than, making her feel different because Hannah couldn't conceive. But, and provoking Hannah, but what Penia didn't realise was that she was provoking Hannah through her bitterness to her purpose. Instead of Hannah falling into despair at the negative comments from the other wife, she took herself off to the temple and through prayer and pleading with God, begged God to help her conceive and have a son. And if she did, she would dedicate that child to the temple. And so Samuel is born, and when he is four years old, he is dedicated to the temple to serve God for the rest of his life. Now, why is Samuel telling us this? Because he wants us to understand that our story did not start with us. It started before we were even born And we know this because Jeremiah in chapter 1 tells us, I chose you before I gave you life, says the Lord, before you were even born. Perhaps you're here this morning uh, because you feel that you're in a position like Hannah. For whatever reason, you are being belittled, made to feel less than, to feel different It may be a friend, a relative, or a work colleague. They have tried to shut you out, shut you down, and shut you up. But God has a plan. A plan for your life and the provocation that you are facing, the challenges that you are facing right down, whatever they are. God has a plan for your life, and he's provoking you through these difficult circumstances, to your purpose, as he did Hannah. You see, we think we chose to be here this morning, but we are here by divine appointment. God knew that we would be in this space, in this moment. And it's God's purpose to raise us up to be everything He purposed for our lives, despite what is happening. Is that not good news? Before we were even born, God had 
a plan for each and every one of us, no exclusions. Jeremiah 29 tells us, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plan to give you hope and a future. We might think our story starts with us, but Jeremiah and Samuel remind us our story started before we were even born. God has a plan. You see, nobody knows the names of Penny's children, but everybody knows the name Samuel. God has a plan for your life, so take hope. Can I continue? Oh. Now, in verse 2, we read, One night, Eli, who was almost blind, was lying down in his usual place. Now, that word usual is loaded with meaning, and Samuel uses it quite deliberately. Remember, Samuel is writing this many years later because at this point in his life, he's just a kid, probably old enough to ride a bike. And in fact, if Samuel had been alive in 2023, he'd be the kid riding his bike up and down Lower Green Road, doing wheelies while texting on his mobile phone and wearing a, not wearing a helmet. <laughs> but clearly Samuel remembers the feelings he had of those early days and the impression his environment had on him so that he could write this account many years later when he was older. So life in the temple was the usual for Samuel, which carries the same meaning as typical, habitual, routine, mundane, normal, boring. It's like getting home from work and your partner asks you, how was work today, darling? And you say, well, the usual. Or you get home from church and they ask you, how was church today, darling? And you say, <laughs> come on. Don't forget to transfer that money into my account, Dan. So life for Samuel was boring. Same thing day in, day out, Eli in his usual place, most days shouting out instructions to Samuel. Open the temple doors, Samuel. Light the lamp of the Lord, Samuel. Sweep the floor, Samuel. Run my bath, Samuel. But God had a plan. However, there was sin in the temple. Both of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were abusing God's temple, stealing the best of the offerings brought in by pilgrims. And if pilgrims refused to hand over the offerings to Hophni and Phinehas, they would get beaten up. As well as this, young female pilgrims were being sexually abused, which is another way of saying raped. Eli knew all this, but hid it from God. Now, at the same time, time, the word of the Lord in the land was rare. Can you see the connection? And that is exactly what Samuel wants us to see, that when the temple is compromised, the word of the Lord in the land is rare, and the same applies for the church. 
But God had a plan. In Samuel's temple, God's presence was symbolized by the ark, a kind of casket looked after by Samuel. But post-resurrection, the church is now the living ark of God, each and every one of us, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we read in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. How? Jesus tells us again in Luke 17, the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, when we come together, we disrupt the kingdom of this world, ruled by powers of darkness. Those same powers are the ones that put the thoughts in our heads, the thoughts like, oh, oh don't bother going back to church, don't bother going to church, just stay in bed like Eli, you deserve it. Anyway, it's raining, they're not going to miss you. In fact, they don't even like you. Is that just me or just anybody? <laughs> However, when we resist the devil, he flees from us because through prayer and worship and the preaching of God's word, there is no other name higher than the name of Jesus. And now anything is possible. As Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven among us through Holy Spirit, the kingdom of this world retreats at the voice of Jesus. Because when Jesus speaks, his voice fills the whole earth with holy thunder. And so when Jesus is among us, grace has been poured out, Holy Spirit moving, healing, releasing, freeing, convicting. We are no longer slaves because Christ broke the curse of sin and enslavement to those powers on the cross. Hallelujah! There is nothing usual about church because when we enter church, we enter the heavenly realms. And when church is awake to all the possibilities we have in Christ, we realize the battle is not ours. It is the Lord's. And he has won that battle on the cross. Therefore, we are no longer victims to the thoughts that torment our minds and tell us we are less than or different because we have been captured up into the victory of Jesus Christ. And we can turn to Satan when he tempts us and tell him, you lost Jesus is Lord. This is why there is nothing usual about church, because when we are in church, Holy Spirit disrupts those dark forces trying to keep us from our destiny. And it's also why we have a battle in our minds, because Satan hates it when we come together, because this is where he has his territory. This is where the battle happens. But when we are in church and Holy Spirit is moving, he disrupts 
those thoughts and pushes those powers of darkness back. And so we come to calling. When I first read this chapter, I was confused as to why Samuel did not recognize God's voice. But then I realized that this was Samuel's first time and first encounter with God in this way. So it made perfect sense that Samuel would think it was Eli calling him because that would have been the voice dominant in this kid's mind every day. He would be hearing that voice giving him instructions. Between the ages of 11 and 13, I had thought God was calling me to be a monk and live my life out in a monastery. I was brought up Roman Catholic, and I loved many things about the Catholic faith, the mass, the mystery, the mysticism. And I was drawn to the great contemplatives, St. Teresa and St. Francis. But as I got older, I realized that would have been impossible because I turned out to be, well, just too funny. And there is no demand for funny monks anywhere. <laughs> After I became a Christian, I joined a large, vibrant Baptist church on the south side of Glasgow, Queen's Park Baptist Church. And I was part of a growing youth fellowship. There may have been 70 or 80 of us, but there were a core of us who were desperate to go into the deeper things of God. This is in the mid-1970s, so the charismatic movement is just beginning to impact Glasgow. Every Monday afternoon, Youth Fellowship, we held a prayer meeting. A number of the Youth Fellowship were still at school, somewhere at university. I was working as a waiter doing split shifts, so I was able to go between lunch and dinner. There was one prayer meeting I will never forget. We had just started praying when Holy Spirit fell on the meeting so powerfully. People were being baptized in the Holy Spirit. People started to speak in tongues for the first time. People started to prophesy to each other. God's calling you to be an evangelist. God's calling you to be a pastor. God's calling you to be a, a missionary. God's calling you to be an encourager. And at the other side of the circle, in our prayer meeting, there was a lad called Alan, and I shouted out, Alan, God's telling me you're to go to France. Well, he was shocked. I was even more shocked because I did not put those words in my mouth. I can't remember if I spoke to Alan afterwards, but after he completed his university course, he went to France and he never came back. Praise be! (laughs) A few years ago, actually, Alan came to visit me here in Pembury. I hadn't seen him for a long time, and he brought his French wife and two teenage daughters, and he'd lived in Paris forever. When he walked in my house, I thought, oh my goodness, he looks so French. 
And of course, he spoke fluent French with a Scottish accent, praise be. And one of the first things he wanted to talk about was that prayer meeting decades ago when God called him to France. You know, I think Samuel was talking about this night when God called him to be a prophet with his mates. His mates would ask him, Samuel, tell us that story again when God called you to be a prophet. Well, says Samuel, I was just lying in me kip when God called Samuel. I can't do God, so um, it's best I can do it. So around 1978, I felt God calling me to go to Bible college, uh, the Bible Training Institute in Glasgow. And it just so happened that the principal of the college, the Reverend Jeffrey Grogan, was a member of my church. So one Sunday after service like this, I went up to him and I said, Jeffrey, God's called me to Bible college. All excited, you know, being a young Christian. And he looked at me and he said, um, no, I don't think he is, Patrick. Well, I was shocked. So I asked him why, and he said, you've got too much Catholic in you. I'm not going to go into the history of Catholics and Protestants in Glasgow. So in my head, I'm thinking, how can I have too much Catholic in me? I've been saved. I've been born again. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues, for goodness sake. Of course, I didn't see any of that because I didn't have the maturity. What Jeffrey didn't realize, however, was that he was provoking me to my purpose because I, I was absolutely convinced God was calling me to Bible college. So I spent that summer trying to be less Catholic and more nonconformist. Um, and in 1979, and also I got myself through O-levels at the same time as I had no uh, education at all, even school at 15. And in 1979, I was accepted into the Bible Training Institute. And I loved every minute of it. You see, this morning you came to church. You had your usual routine. You got showered, got dressed. You walked to church or you drove to church. You sat in your usual place. <laughs> Sorry, I sat in Dave's seat this morning. And you expected all the usual things to happen. All seems perfectly usual. But there is nothing usual about church. As there is nothing usual about a young Jewish man giving up the bread of his body to be broken for our sins. There is nothing usual about him spilling the wine of his blood for us to receive the forgiveness of sins. There is nothing usual about bringing our traumas past or present to the cross. Whether they be childhood abuse, mental health, addiction, there is nothing usual about us bringing our diseases, our broken bodies to the cross. There is nothing usual about us bringing our suicidal thoughts to the cross. There is nothing usual about us bringing our loss to the cross.
You see, it's at the cross where everything starts. And if you haven't been there yet, now is the moment. And when we surrender ourselves, give over our sin or trauma to Christ, we are raised up, forgiven, and free to live in the fullness of the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And walk into that story written for you before you were even born. If you came to church expecting usual this morning, you will be disappointed. God doesn't do usual. He's a God who's on the move all the time. So who are we here this morning? Perhaps some of us feel like Hannah, crushed under the weight of feeling like a failure, hiding behind a wall of grief. Or are we like Eli, deceiving God and haven't got the energy, the will, or the motivation to move from our usual place? Or are we like Samuel, open and receptive to God and what God has for us? It is said that Michelangelo painted the world-famous Sistine Chapel with a broken brush. Just imagine when we bring our broken selves to God this morning, what he can do through each one of us. You see, the temple in Eli's time had fallen. It had been compromised by sin and deception, which Eli tried to hide from God. Therefore, the word of the Lord in the land was rare. You see the connection. But when we live in the fullness of the gospel life of Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, the word of the Lord and the land will not be rare because the word of the Lord and the land will be everywhere. Many of us have been Christians for so long when they have lost that first love, that passion, that spark, that intimacy when we first met Jesus for the first time. We want that intimacy back when you heard God so clearly so long ago. And it doesn't matter if you are 19 or 90, God wants that for all of us. When God called Samuel to be a prophet, he didn't ask him to vote on it. He asked him to obey. Samuel tells us at the end of the chapter, God continued to speak to him throughout his life. And when Samuel spoke, all Israel listened. In Scripture, God has many names. But the name that fits this morning is Elro, translated, the God who sees us. This morning, God sees you.